Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Yeah, by week three, we're going to stand up and demonstrate, those of us that know. Some of y'all just got exposed to what's called music right there. Didn't even know. Didn't know. Didn't know. Who knew that you could get famous just doing that? All right. Uh, Otis Blackwell and Winfield Scott wrote the song Return to Cinder in 1962, and uh, it was released for the very first time and recorded by none other than the king himself, Elvis Presley. And in uh, this week in 1962, on November 11th, this week, it hit the number two uh, spot on the top Billboard uh, Hot Top Hot top 100 chart because it was featured in this movie that Elvis did called Girls, Girls, Girls. So there you go. That's why. So basically the concept of this, a lot of the young people in the room don't even understand the concept of return to center because they don't send mail through the post office. They do it on electronically. But there's this concept where you would take an, it's called an envelope. You would put stuff in it. You would take it to this building and drop it in a chute. And it didn't, ha- if you didn't have enough postage on it, that's a stamp, by the way. If you didn't have enough, if you didn't have a stamp on it or if you had misaddressed it, like you did put the wrong address, they would return it to you because you put your address up in the left-hand corner. That's the sender's. Okay, I'm just trying to educate you this morning, right? So the concept of the song was that this guy and this girl are having this spat and he's trying to get in touch with her and every time he would try to send her a letter, it would come back to him. In fact, I didn't play it for you, but there's a line in the song where Elvis sings, I write, I'm sorry, but my letter keeps coming back. So then I dropped it in the mailbox and sent it Special D. Now, some of you don't even know what Special D is. That's special delivery. Um, and, and so, man, y'all, y'all are way too young. All right. So um, they kind of want to read to you from Scripture this morning. Talks about a special delivery that I think is going to help us. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to skip down to verse 24. So there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. Good gracious. (laughs) Let me just catch my breath because it gets worse. He says he had two wives. One was called Hannah and another was called Paniah. Okay, from henceforth it's Elk and Penny. All right, and they're from Anadarko, Oklahoma. All right, so, so uh, Penny had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty, Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elk to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penny and to all her sons and daughters, but to, to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. And her husband Elk would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? 
Once when, they, once when they had finished eating and drinking and Shiloh, Hannah stood up and now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Verse 24. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Hannah's talking here, said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I ask of him, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Um, if you have uh, certain versions of the Bible, it'll say right here, it'll say Hannah's prayer. Here's what she prayed after all this happened. The whole chapter, but I'm just going to read the first two verses. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. So I, I think it's essential, essential to, uh, before we get real deep in this, to kind of work backwards a little bit. I think it's essential for us to understand and grasp hold of the truth of these last two verses I read to you after in chapter 2. Because what you discover here is that Hannah recognized and realized that not only was God the only one who could meet her need, she recognized that God is the ultimate source of any blessing. Okay, I had your help until then. I need you to understand, we've got to come to a grips with what Hannah had learned, that, that, that your dream job is not your source. She says, God, you and you alone, you're the only one. You're the rock. You're, you're the, you lift up my, me to deliverance. You're, you're the only one. You're my, you're my source. You're the ultimate source of my blessing. It, everything that, 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 that comes from, from into my life is from you and you alone. She recognizes this. Everything else is a channel. He, he uses channels as a delivery system to get things to us. And although I think that we should be extremely thankful for the channel, I don't want you to go through life and never be thankful for the job that you have. I don't want you to go through life and never be thankful for the relationships that God has blessed you with. I don't want you to, to negate or overlook the channels, but, but I just need you to understand that they're nothing more than channels. There's a source behind the channel that makes that provision happen. We must remember the source. Let me say it like this. You have what you have, health or wealth, simply because of him. Uh, Hannah knew, what, knew, knew that, that that was true. My question to you this morning right off the bat is, do you understand that? Or do you think you're a self-made man? Or do you think that the company you work for is your source? I've got news for you. The delivery system can dry up. But the source will never run out of supply. He is our source. That's why like Hannah and like James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 17, we must conclude that every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. If you've been blessed or if you will be blessed, it is ultimately from God and God 
alone. It is necessary to know this because there will come the day when we are supposed to return to cinder. And if we are going to return to cinder, and if we're going to give blessings back to the one that gave them to us, we've got to recognize the source or we will give those things to the wrong people in the wrong place. So we've got to know the source. So with the understanding that God is the sender established established first, I want us to look at a couple truths that I've really never really thought about when I read this account. Most of the time, we read this account in baby dedications. Y'all been here. I read this one every time. Hannah longs for a son. She finally gets a son and gives him back to God. We, we, We read that and baby dedications, but this morning I want us to look at it a little different. I want you to understand that out of this account we can learn a couple lessons that we must learn. The first one is this, lack of contentment leads to confinement. I want you to notice, if you will, that Hannah was in a great situation. She was deeply loved. In fact, Scripture says that when her husband every year, year after year, would go to the tabernacle, to to, to the temple to offer sacrifices, that he would give her a double portion to sacrifice. Didn't do that for old Penny. No, no. He did that for Hannah. Then it says in Scripture, in black and white, I read it to you. It says he did this because he loved her. Y'all with me? I I read the account again, and and I'm not trying to add nothing to Scripture, but I just tried to read it and see where it tells me that he loved Penny because I can't find anywhere in the black and white text that I read. Now, maybe he did. Maybe she was fine as wine. I don't know. All I know is it doesn't say that he loved her. It just says that he loved Hannah. He loved her. So so when, when he finds Hannah weeping, he doesn't understand. He does, so we ask her this question. He says, Hannah, am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? See, Elk had, old Elk had learned a lesson that I've learned. It's exhausting being a trophy husband. Anybody else learned that? I learned. You notice Julie's not here in first service. She'll be here second service. I might have to cut that part out. So, 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 so he looks at her and he says, come on, Hannah. What's your problem? Girl, you got all of this. All of this. And, and, and I'm not enough? I'm not, oh, come on now. Come on, man, man, come on, man in the house. Look at your woman right now and say, come on, girl. No, don't you dare. Cause Don't you dare. Don't you dare. He says, what? Well, oh, Lord, help me. He said, what is the issue here, Hannah? What, what he didn't know was, or he, he seemed to be oblivious, as some men happen to be, um, that, that, Hannah, that Hannah was being constantly and cruelly ridiculed by Penny. She would constantly remind Hannah that, that she did not have what she had. What she had that Hannah did not have was children. And so she was cruel about it, and she would ridicule about it. So, so Hannah, by all accounts, by everything that I can read in Scripture, had reason to be content. But because of outside, the outside pressure of opinion, she was overtaken by discontent. Her lack of contentment confines her then to feeling less than penny. 
I don't have what you have. So now I am confined by this feeling of inadequacy because I don't have what you have. Oh, I'm going somewhere. She, she, she even says by her own uh, admission, she says that she's full of sorrow and that she's got great anguish and grief. And she is, so she's completely confined by Penny's laughter when she should have been content in Elk's love. But she's confined. And what I would say to you this morning is this. This is the lesson I need you to hear me to, to teach us. And we got to grasp this. Is that a lot of us have a penny in our life too. For, for, for many of us, we've got this outside voice pressuring us that causes us to be confined. And may I suggest to you this morning, for all intents and purposes, by every account that I can find, those of us sitting under the sound of my voice and probably almost everybody online that's watching right now has reason to be content. We are the most blessed people on the planet. We have reason to be content and yet for most of us we find ourselves confined with discontentment and we're unhappy when because of an outside voice or outside voices that pressures us and so we're unhappy in what should be an, a very happy, contented life. For most of us, Penny is the media. Uh, we are bombarded with 1,500 advertising images a day telling us that we won't be happy until we get what they tell us that we should need to be happy. Like if I don't have the right brand of toothpaste, I am going to be the most, if I don't have the right cereal, if I don't have the right image, if I don't have the right clothes, if I'm not driving the right car, if I'm not living in the right neighborhood, then I, although I'm blessed so much, I got stuff in my house I don't even want. I got clothes in my closet that I don't even wear. It's not because I can't wear them. I just don't want to wear them. Anybody, okay? And yet we, we're, we succumb to this pressure 1,500 times a day. They're telling us, you, should, you, you need this. Can I tell you this morning that, 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 that an advertiser's number one goal is to stir up discontentment in us. Maybe it's not the media for you. It could be a neighbor that you really don't even like or, or know. But, 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 but they have something you don't have. And so now all of a sudden, the end result is the same. You're overcome by discontentment. And in, in, in what should be in a contented place, you find yourselves confined by what others think or you're obsessed by what others have. We find ourselves confined by debt that we didn't have to take on because we weren't content. We find ourselves confined by the opinions of others. And so we've got to come to this place where Paul came to because Hannah didn't get there we got to get there. we got to get to this place where Paul comes to where he says, I learned a secret. I'm going to share the secret that Paul shared with us today. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being 
content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, where living in plenty or, it, or in want. Paul learned a secret that we've got to learn because if we don't learn the secret, then we are at a disadvantage because the pennies will get a hold of us and they will cause us to be confined by lack of contentment. So, uh, so, 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 so we become, I'm, I'm concerned because I see us, we become content in situations that we should be, we become discontent in situations that we should be content in. We end up giving power to voices that do nothing but stir up discontentment in us and it causes us to do this. It causes us to miss the blessings that we already have in hand. Hannah was blessed. She had a blessing in hand. She had a husband that loved her deeply and gave her a double portion, and she's going, I'm not enough. She missed the blessing in how many of you are missing the blessings of God that he's already given you, that you already have at your disposal, that you already have in hand because you're sitting around comparing yourself to Penny and Penny's trying to convince you and teach you and tell you that you don't have enough and you'll never have enough and you'll never be enough and you're sitting here blessed beyond measure. You've got more gifts than the average individual. You've been blessed beyond wildest dreams of other folks and you're going, I just don't have enough for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think we need to see that if we're not careful, the lack of contentment will confine us. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the depth of Hannah's longing for a son. She, the Bible says she longed so deeply for a son that when she went to the temple to pray and request a son, the, the, the chief priest is standing there. Eli's pray, standing there, and Hannah comes into the temple. And I didn't read this part to you, but she's praying. And the Bible says she's moving her mouth, but nothing is coming out of her mouth. So Eli makes an assumption. He makes an assumption that she's drunk. And so she has to correct him. I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying out of the depths of my heart, right? So I think, here's, here's why I bring that up. I think what we do when we read that passage of Scripture, and most of you have read that in your life, you, you've seen it, I've even done this, I think what we think is she's simply praying silently. And in fact, she is, but I, I think we miss, what, here's what we miss, we miss the depth of our prayer. She is so moved by this longing and desire that she can't even get the words out. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, we, when, we, when we're calling and we just, we don't know what to do and, and we're praying and we're praying. She says, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I think it's, an, it's, it's essential for us to grasp the understanding, the depth of our feeling so that we understand. Because it's out of this deep longing that she approaches God. Stay with me. If you miss everything else I say, hear, hear this this morning. Out of her deep longing... She approaches God. She makes her need known. God responds. I wonder if I stopped right here and just said, how many of you have ever had a deep longing and you bring it to God and you approached him and you pour out your heart to him and all of a sudden out of nowhere, God responds. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would testify like I can testify that there have been moments in my life where I couldn't even get the words out, but God understood and God knew and he cares about us so much that he responds and brings help. 
Okay, I think I'm in the right room. I think it's not noteworthy to understand that God responds to the need of his people. So, but, but, but this morning, here's what I want you to catch. If we're not careful, we focus all of the attention in this scripture on God's response to Hannah. And we discount, dismiss, or overlook Hannah's response to God. Y'all ain't ready for me? I, I, see, I think this is what happened. I think often we approach God like Hannah did, and we make our petition known. And just like God did for Hannah, he responds to us, us and he births a miracle in us. He brings financial answers. He brings health miracles. His dreams become reality. But I'm afraid that too often we fail to respond like Hannah responds to, responded to God's response. I want to ask you, you'll see it come up on the screen right now, and I'm asking it this way so it takes a little bit of the bite off of it, but hang on, you know me well enough that I'm coming for you Uh, because I'm going to ask it the easy way. Uh, how How do we respond to God's response? That took a little bite off it, didn't it? Because now I'm talking about your neighbor instead of you because I said we. But let me ask it personal for you this morning. How do you Respond to God's response. Oh, come on now. Here, let me tell you how Hannah responds. I, I don't know if you know this, but what Hannah, you know Hannah's in the Old Testament, right? She, her life account is in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, right? So, but do you do recognize that Hannah from the Old Testament gives us a New Testament glimpse? You say, well, what? Here's the glimpse. She responds by returning to cinder. Okay, you missed it. She literally gives her son back to God for the rest of his life. Here she is, she's longing for her son. I need a son. God, you gotta give me a son. I need need a son so bad I can't even pray out loud. God responds and Hannah brings this baby when he's weaned and she brings him to the tabernacle of the temple and she lays him at the feet of Eli and says, here you go. He's yours for the rest of his life. You say, well, how is that New Testament? Yo, I'm telling y'all, y'all ain't, here, go like this. Okay, here we go, buckle up. Here it is. How is that New Testament? Because in the New Testament, generosity wasn't minimized. It was, in fact, radicalized. All that built up and y'all just looked at me. In the New Testament, generosity was not minimalized. It was radicalized from 10% to 100%. Okay. She gives 100% back to God. Too many of us want to be New Testament believers, but we don't, we want to do it without a New Testament response. Okay. We struggle with 10%. When a New Testament response is 100%. I'm I'm preaching right now. Does our response to God reveal entitlement rather than gratitude? Because some of us struggling big time right now. Come on, worship team, all at once, quickly. Some of us struggling big time with 10% when that's not even the standard. Okay. Ooh. 
She, she responded to her request being responded to with gratitude by giving her most tangible treasure back to the sender. How many of us, listen to me this morning, how many of us respond to our requests being met by making, here it is, more requests? God, I need, I need, I need. Here's the longing of my heart. If you don't come through for me, I'm going to lose it all. I don't have, I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose it all, God. You got to come through. God comes through. And what do we do? We don't even pause. We don't even pause not for one second to say thank you, God, when he responds. Instead, once he responds, we turn around and go, oh, you did A. Let me tell you what I need. B, C, D, E, F, and G. The New Testament response. If we're going to be New Testament believers, then our response is that when God responds to us, we respond back. Okay, 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 okay. If Hannah's response revealed that she loved the giver more than the gift, my question for us simply this morning is this. Does our response to his response reveal we love the gift more than we love the giver? So here's my question. You're not going to like it. I didn't like it when I had to ask myself. When are you going to give your Samuel back to the sender? When will your greatest treasure be laid on the altar? So, so forget the 10%. Because y'all know, that if you haven't figured it out, this is a financial series, by the way. If you haven't figured it out, most of the time in financial series, what a pastor will do is stand up and talk to you about, you need to give your 10%. We're going to give you that opportunity at the end of this month to, to sign up for God's guarantee like we do every year, that you're going to commit your 10%. But hang on just a second. Forget the 10%. I want to go for the juggler this morning. I want to challenge you that if we are going to be the New Testament church and believers that God has called us to be, forget the 10%. I want to know about the 100%. When are you going to give God everything? When are you going to come to this place in your life where you say to God, there's no off limits. Nothing is beyond you. You, you are my greatest source. You are responsible for every blessing I have. Health, wealth, anything good that's come has come from you. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to this place where I'm going to lay everything at your feet and if you say give it all I'll empty it out if I have to give up my preferences I'll empty them out if I have to lay my prejudices down I'll lay I'll empty it out if I have to if I have to to, to, to empty my bank account out God it's from you and you'll replenish I will give it all to you when are we going to get to this place where we're willing like Hannah to walk back into the tabernacle and say God I wouldn't even have this if you hadn't given it to me here you go 100% you say well struggling with the 10%. I think y'all were sitting here waiting on me to say, start somewhere. Okay, start at 100%. 10 is not so hard when you start with 100%. Either we believe this stuff or we don't. He is our source. Period. You cannot, listen, 
You cannot. It is impossible. Has never been done. Will never be done. You cannot outgive God. So, what we've got to learn this morning is simply this what matters most means most. Generosity is not is about value it's not about amount sacrifice is about sentiment not about the cost it's what what it means to you that's why that's why the new testament response is this god what jesus means to me the fact that i was lost that I was on my way to a sinner's hell, that I didn't have life, I didn't have hope, I had no chance of making it on my own, but Jesus steps in and dies for me and rescues me, then I cannot come into your temple and tip you. My response is different than that. It's I'll give you everything because you gave me everything. We sin back to the sender. What we send back to the sender reveals how much we value the sender. At the end of every year, and then I'm done, I'm going to get out of your way because some of y'all are really uncomfortable right now. At the end of every year, we give out giving statements. Say, why are you doing that? Because we're required to. By law, we're required to. Because you can take tax write-offs because of donations, right? Oh, I'm about to get myself in some trouble. That simple piece of paper causes me every year, because I get one too, to stop and question how much do I really value what God has done for me? You do know that all you got to do, okay, we're just going to go basics here, and I'm not good in math. So you do know all you got to do is multiply that times 10, and you can see whether you are even close to kindergarten level generosity in the New Testament. But I want you to, I want to challenge you this morning. When you get that statement at the end of the year this year, don't multiply it times 10. Multiply it times 100. And see if that's what you brought in this year. And see if there's any correlation between your value for what God has done for you. Well, y'all must need money to keep the lights on. The lights are on. Y'all must need something new. We got new. This is not about the church. The church is fine. This is about whether or not we're really who we say we are and whether God is really who we say He is. Because as New Testament believers, our generosity level should be radical, not minimal. So I challenge you this morning. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would do what I cannot do in this moment. I, I pray that you dig into the depths of our spirit. I know this is a painful message for many of us because we value so much what we have because we've been influenced by penny. 
Penny's told us that we're not who we should be and not who we could be because we don't have certain things. So we go out and get these things. And when we discover that when we get them, we can't even find peace in those things. But we live our lives confined by lack of contentment because we put our identity in those things. Help us to shift our identity this morning and recognize that we are complete in you and we can be content in you. And Father, I pray this morning you would do what I cannot do. I pray that you would challenge us, challenge us this morning. Challenge to, to come to an altar right here where whether we're sitting, standing, kneeling, wherever we are in this moment, would you bring us to a place of an altar moment where you alter our perspective from 10% for some of us, from nothing. For some of us, 2%. For some of us, 10%. Some of us maybe have already graduated to 50%. But Father, I'm praying for all of us this morning. We would graduate to a brand new level. And you would, at this altar, this moment, you would take us to a new place where 100% of everything we have, lock, stock, and barrel, nothing off limits, is yours. You are our source. So as they sing this song, just real simply, would you just come to an altar? I'm not asking you to come down here. I'm just praying right there where you're sitting, right there in the moment, in this moment, would you just build an altar in your heart for just a moment and really begin to seek God about, have I come to a New Testament level of understanding of generosity back to you? You've been so good to me. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.